Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Bellip Sports Media Network. Welcome on in to the batting order. Be this our third live show of the year, and we are very excited. Brandon, how are you doing this evening? LJ, I am doing pretty good myself. Third week of the live stream. We have two really fun guests tonight. Our long overdue uh, another interview, I guess I should say, with Friars on the Farm. They came on way back in 2021, right when we were starting the show. They'll be on with us at 9.30, LJ, right? Yes, they'll be on at 9.30. And then Ryan McCarthy, who... LJ's made appearances on his show before. He's made appearances on our show at least one time. Or has he not made an appearance on our this show? Is, this is his debut. I think me and you have both made appearances on his show yep. is what I was thinking. Um, but Ryan McCarthy will be on, uh, we're saying 10 o'clock for, for him, LJ? Uh, yes, 10 o'clock. So stick around, you know, for the first 15 minutes. I'm sure LJ has some kind of graphic to put up that says nonsense or baseball talk or you know? something here yeah nonsense right uh lj what uh what what kind of nonsense hey actually you know what i want to start off with something because i feel like this will be an interesting topic a conversation lj your nba team was in a very high leverage game to use a baseball term very high leverage game last night as you are an oklahoma city thunder fan lj first did you watch the game and second, if you did or didn't, uh, you know, how are we feeling about your OKC Thunder, who third pick, Chet Holmgren, didn't even play the whole year? LJ, how are we feeling? I'm feeling good. Um, for starters, to answer the first question here, I watched the fourth quarter in typical LJ fashion. Oh, LJ, we have a comment. Um, did I? Oh, my Lord. What on earth did I do? LJ. Oh, <laughs> no. Grammarly also failed me here because it only shows up now. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Chris Green. That's, just that's nonsense right there. Chris Green. Look, I like oh, everything no. about that comment except for the Red Sox logo. Um, now, I mean, now that is some nonsense. Um, that's a tough way to start the show. Not gonna lie, pretty tough. Um, that's the toughest way to start the show, honestly. 
Don't leave, guys. Please don't leave. Please. No, it's a it's a much higher quality of content than that is. Trust me on that. But back to the Thunder standpoint here. I only watch the fourth quarter in typical LJ fashion. That's really when it gets good, especially for a game that I refuse to call the playoffs. The play-in tournament is not the playoffs. Frankly, I'm on the side of the NBA should probably just pare down to 12 teams for the best for the good of their product. Or they would they, never do that if they're. They would never, but not, I'm talking about for the good of the product. The product would be in of increased value if you went to a 12 team playoff instead of now a 20 team playoff. Just 20, yeah. 20 get a chance to win the title after 82 games. Here, yeah, say that again. Just 20, make sure you save it. Okay, 20 of the 30 teams after the 82 regular season games have technically a chance to win the finals. My honestly, you know, the hadn't thought of this through till now, but it's honestly kind of sick the way that they have kind of shot themselves in the foot because all of this time they're like, we need the 82 games. We need the 82 games. When all these guys are like, rest, rest, rest. We want to play less all these NBA players. And now you've given yyourself by expanding the postseason and giving more playoff teams, you've given more justification for the games not to matter. Cause the whole point of a length of a regular season is order to weed out the teams that might've gotten lucky or just gotten hot. And so like, like with 162 games, it's perfect for baseball because especially at a time where you were at a four or an eight or 10 team tournament, it was the perfect amount of, of games to separate the teams that got hot early and just had like a really good through Memorial Day and then taper off after that from the teams that have been consistently decent or got off to a bad start, but were really a lot better than that bad start. You need that. But then all of a sudden you expand the playoffs, you need less games. You know, we go to a 60, 60 to 80 game schedule here in the MLB. Then all of a sudden, yeah, you're going to be saying at least half the league, if not more, should be in. And the same thing is going to happen in the NBA. I guarantee you next time a uh, – labor negotiation goes on they're going to start talking about decreasing the regular season because you don't need that many games to decide who the 20 best teams are in the league but would the one thing would the owners want to do that because that's a huge loss of revenue if you say you're taking away four or five home games let's say you cut the season to 72 games you're cutting five home games from from every single team schedule think about how much a team makes in a single home game, are owners going to be willing to do that? Like, I don't, I really don't think so. They won't, but the, the calls that were already there are going to be stronger now because they decided to get greedy and get more playoff revenue. It'd be like this because I see people on Twitter all the time talking about how the MLB should shorten their season. It's like the owners, the owners in the MLB have more control than the owners in any league. I, I mean, maybe the NFL, but then again, you know, I don't want to get into that. But in the MLB, the owners have tremendous control over the CBAs, and there was there's no chance that they'll ever shorten the MLB season. For God's sakes, they they're adding teams to the playoffs to add more games to to the to the season overall. So, uh, yeah, on that note, I just uh, I just don't think that they could ever try and shorten the season. But LJ, uh, we have I, don't, hmm? I don't want to talk too much NBA, but. I feel like it's a good segue. What do we feel about their in-season tournament? Have Have you heard the inner workings, how this is actually going to operate? Would you like me to explain? Um, you don't 
briefly, like very briefly, because we do have a comment that some Absolutely. of the oh. So it's going to be like six pools of five teams apiece, and you have four group stage games during the first six weeks of the season. The winner of the six pools advance to a single elimination tournament, and there's two wild cards, and then it just goes from there. You see, I'm against this fundamentally because of my own personal goals. My goals are to watch as little NBA as possible. And this is going to keep, this is going to pull me away from my goals. That's more sort of why I'm against this. I don't understand who, again, it's a great product for kids who are really loving basketball, but I really just don't see the appeal to it anymore. And a lot of people don't see the appeal to the NBA game anymore. So in my eyes, more games is just not the answer. But we're going to go ahead and jump over to this comment here because this is something I've been dying to talk about for a while. Grain Darcy says, Rania Darcy, my girlfriend, my girlfriend in the the chat. LJ, how do you feel about Aaron Judge? This is a topic I've been waiting to bring up around Brandon for a very long time because Aaron Judge went from being the type of Yankee and the type of player that – could have gotten into my our final topic of the day here, which is going to be our favorite players in baseball outside of our own teams. He is the only guy in Yankees history that I feel like I could talk myself into putting on this team list. Was. Honestly, was, was would, okay. Would have been on there after the incredible season he had, incredible talent, generally great player. And then March happened. And my whole perspective on Aaron Judge has shifted. What because happened? Brandon, I'm going to ask you one very very simple question that you're not going to be able to defend to me. Where was Aaron Judge on the World Baseball Classic roster? You can't give me an answer, can you? No. Lack of patriotism, lack of character, lack of care about those around him, his country, all the people who have given him great opportunities and great value. When you have this many players, it would be one thing if no one cared. It would be one thing if no one cared. But when you have such a terrific group of position players all getting together and saying, we want to go out there, we want to succeed, and we want to win for the United States, and we want to win together for the United States, and then Judge doesn't show up. I mean, keep in mind, we already had a superstar group out there with Tucker, Mullins, Trout, Betts. We were supposed to have Harper. Harper's there if he's even moderately healthy, but no judge. That was the most disappointing thing. Honestly, it, it made more him disappointing than our than our pitching staff not showing up. Like actually no, no, no. wanting to play. Actually, I, I think so because generally there's a philosophy within the pitching. The philosophy is wrong, but this concept within the pitching group that it's a bad thing for them to go play these games is there. That philosophy isn't there with Judge. I wasn't as mad about it at the time because it wasn't as big a need. We were already four deep in the outfield quite easily, and that's without the concept of moving Trey Turner out to center field. So at the end of the day, we had plenty of you know ammo, so I couldn't get mad about it, and I wasn't going to be vocal about it then, but it was incredibly disappointing. I mean, yeah, I like you said, I don't have an answer – that um 
I feel very good about Aaron Judge. I'm very happy that that he's on my team. Uh, not that anyone asked, but I'm it, just on the side. It just it, it was a you know massive tank that a lot of people I don't think noticed when it came to Aaron Judge, his legacy. Not necessarily his legacy. That's that's an overstep, but his legacy. His legacy. His oh. likability, <laughs> in my eyes, took a massive hit with this. Not to the not to like Stantonian levels, but. Oh, so <laughs> the the Stantonian level, okay. The Stantonian level is very clearly the rock bottom. That is the baseline for hateable players. Is the Stantonian and Machado level, like the, I, the David Ortiz level for for me, cheater. No way. But nonsense, right here. Anyway, this is straight nonsense. Actually, you want to talk about nonsense? Real quick, we do have our buddies from Friars on the Farm here, and we're going to get to them as promised at 9.30. But real quick, I do have to tell that story that we uh, promised. Yes, yes, we did. I agree with you, LJ. What a degenerate. Oh, come on. No, no. I'm just saying the comment section does not lie. No, come on now. The comments do not lie. But before we get into that next, our next segment here, I do have to tell the story that I, pl- I teased a couple of days ago, um, back on Wednesday, which is just yesterday. But the story I teased that we were going to bring in here as part of the nonsense segment, talking about the Big Three Radio Show here on WLAS LP Newton in Massachusetts. So, my co-host, number one radio show in Auburndale, Mass. Yes, number one radio show in Auburndale, Massachusetts. My co-host walks into the studio that day, absolutely heated, and we weren't 100% sure why. And then finally he explains he's mad about the fact that Craig Smith made his return to Boston that night, and they gave him a tribute video. And he was heated because he's like, look, a player who was mediocre for a relatively short stretch and never won anything in the city does not deserve a thing and i really want to talk about this tonight because he does not deserve a tribute video and so we sat there and talked about it during the break and then we get into the segment now this is a maybe 10 minutes apart from him being absolutely heated over this topic i go to him i say nico so now nico after we already talked about the record and everything at that point in time what's grinding your gears regarding the nhl he continues into a three-minute tirade about how poorly the Panthers and Penguins were trying to effectively piss away their chance at the playoffs and gets absolutely, you know, pissed over this whole situation. And honestly, I'm just sitting there dying laughing. My other co-host, Chris, is dying laughing. And he doesn't realize why. Chris doesn't realize why until I finally remind Nico he's supposed to be mad about the Craig Smith thing. And then he finally gets mad again. It just, if that doesn't embody the level of tomfoolery that ends up going on on this show through these takes, I'm not sure what else does. Uh, Yeah, absolutely great. But LJ, we're approaching 930 here. We are approaching 930. I think it is time. So let's go ahead and welcome in Roy and Donovan, our friends from Friars on the Farm. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Good evening. We're doing great over here on the West Coast. 
I'm actually over here in the eastern seaboard myself. So I, I'm a <laughs> I'm in Winston Salem, North Carolina right now. Fantastic, fantastic. So why don't we go ahead and start up here by ta talking about you guys a little bit of what you do. Well, our podcast covers uh, primarily covers the Padres minor league system from the DSL all the way up to AAA. Uh, any and then any major minor league news, you know, we certainly covered uh, all the union stuff. We we uh, we we championed the union stuff. We covered the contraction, uh, the one twenty uh, contraction a few years back. Anything that involves minor league baseball as a whole, and then primarily we cover every level of the Padres minor league system. Fantastic. So what got you guys started on this path? What got you guys interested in talking about this? Well, for me, well, for me, you know, a few years back to Padres, uh, Padres Twitter and Padres kind of podcast, there were several different podcasts. Some had different points of view. One was very much about the business side. Uh, one was very much uh, just ripping on a very bad team. It was kind of like kicking uh, a man when he's already down. And they were really good. And all the other all the other podcasts focused on the major league team, and none of the podcasts had segments of minor league. You know, they had segments of minor league uh, for the minor leagues. Pardon me. Um, no one just centered on that, and I wanted to focus on that. And I brought Roy on board. Roy is, um, knows a lot about the minor league system. We have also partnered with a local uh, website called Mad Friars, and they've become really good friends of ours. And we use a lot of their content. And you know, at this time it was 2018. Uh, we were two years after the big uh, big international signings that A.J. Preller did. We had tons of guys in the system. You know, soon after that, we drafted, you know, Mackenzie Gore. We just had all this, you know, this hot lava talent, as uh, Scott Boris said back in the day. And it was exciting and it was fun. And we also like to tell their stories as well. So when we do interviews, we want to hear about what they're doing at the plate. We want to hear what they're doing on the mound and in the field. But we really want to get to know their story and tell their story as 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 men. Fantastic. That was a lot, you know. No, absolutely. Roy, do you have anything else to add there? Really, what got you interested? What got you to be so knowledgeable on the minor league system? Well, I'm a, I'm a nerd with ADHD and an access to a computer connection. So <laughs> I was like, I subscribed to Mad Friars and I would read their daily write-ups. Um, I became really interested in that. At one point I was writing for a, a local blog called Gaslamp Ball. It was part of SB Nation. And at the time it had a big community. Um, and so I met Donovan and Donovan's trying to get this podcast going. And at first it was just him and he's like reading box scores. And oh. <laughs> it was, it was so dry. Uh, and so pulling me in and just having two people to bounce conversations off each other. All of a sudden the vibe kind of picked up. Um, and so we've had a lot of fun with it. We've been able to get credentialed by some of the minor league uh, teams. So we'll go up to Lake Elsinore and interview guys. Uh, we've gotten to cover the winter meetings a couple of times. We've gone out to spring training. Uh, so we just, we have a lot of fun. And we also, in the off season, we like to interview uh, players, coaches, broadcasters, uh, you know, national media people. We talked to Jonathan Mayo, MLB.com, uh, Emily Walden, who's written for several different uh, publications. Uh, we just we just like to talk baseball. We were big Padres fans, and it's a lot of fun watching the baby Padres on their way up. Certainly. Now, for those of you who have been following the show back when it was, of course, MLB Daily, back when we were going daily with this, we talked to you guys a lot during that first season, and certainly the start of an exciting time 
with this team. You've got this, the you know, the era of Tatis and Machado was really starting. Uh, I believe Darvish and Snell had just gotten there, yes, when we first started talking two years ago around this time. Could you take us through kind of what the feelings have been about having this run over the last couple of years? Well, so the whole Tatis deal, I'd, that was yeah, like the, the low point in Padres history was watching Bartolo Colon hit his first home run in ever at Peco Park. And it kind of like was just this bottoming out. Like yeah. we'd had this optimism from the 2015 Preller Palooza and it all just kind of fell flat. And that was when it all kind of came unraveled. And Ron Fowler, the the chairman of the ownership board, went on the radio and saying, James Shields is a bum. He needs to go and pretty much forced that trade. And we're all looking at it like, okay, we just traded James Shields for some no-name pitcher and uh, a lottery pick scratch it Dominican kid. Little yeah. did we know that that was going to become a superstar Fernando Tatis Jr. Fast forward a couple of years and – the off season with Manny Machado's pursuit, like when that started, we didn't think that the Padres were going to be even interested in signing anybody with that kind of contract. And then it actually happened and it kind of happened by surprise. And there was kind of a party around San Diego. Like I remember going to a local brewery and there were like 50 people there and we were all just like this big party atmosphere. Like, Oh my God, they're actually doing something huge. Uh, little did we know that this, off season was going to come because then, I mean, incremental deals, you see this guy sign, that guy sign, And then this off season, all of a sudden they're just handing out money. Like it's like, it's like it's monopoly money yeah. and it's a whole upside down. I feel like we're, we're rooting for the bizarro Padres now with a, a lineup of superstars and a deep pitching staff and a packed house every single night and the best broadcasters in the business covering them. Yeah. I, and it's just, it's so, it's such a cool time to be a Padres fan. Now, jumping back towards that, you know, that 2021 season really felt like watching you guys, especially seeing you guys interact on Twitter, especially really, there was a different buzz and a lot of people at the park. How has that environment there changed since all of this started? It's gotten really even more intense and, and just absolutely just blown away. Uh, when when uh, I've had season tickets for, we're always a season ticket holder. I'm no longer a season ticket holder, but I was a season ticket holder for the past five, six years. And five or six years ago, we had Monday night tickets. We had four rows behind the dugout. You get there about half an hour before first pitch, plenty of, plenty of parking, plenty of, you know, no, no lines in the concessions. Now in the past couple of years, if I get home at three 30, I'm pushing my wife. Like we need to get out of here. We need to get downtown. We need to find parking. Two hours before game time, we're parking a mile and a half away. Um, getting into the ballpark is just insane. And it's just an electricity, not only in the ballpark, but in the city. You start seeing hats around town. You know, anytime before this last time, this the swelling of gathering of talent, or you know, this uh yeah, this gathering of talent that AJ Preller has done. Um, you know, you'd see a, a Tony Gwynn jersey, or you'd see a, a Trevor Hoffman. Jersey, and there'll be like a Hoffman bobblehead giveaway or a, a Jake PV bobblehead giveaway of celebrating the past. Uh, now you walk down the street in the mall, you're you're passing by Bogart's jerseys, you're passing by Soto jerseys, you're passing by Tatis Jr. jerseys, and even after Tatis, you know, went through the P is under his PED uh, suspension. Sorry, um, the fans got mad. There were a lot of fans that were just like, "Hey, you know, there's some accountability with the fans." 
But finding out, you know, he did it when he wasn't in season, it was kind of, you know, he, at the very least, you could think he was just trying to get back sooner. Um, regardless of the ringworm and the cream, um, there was an accountability with the fans. And he has come back then and sincerely apologized. He knew that he came back with the tail between his legs. It wasn't contrite. It wasn't, it wasn't manufactured. It was incredibly genuine. And some of the players also spoke out about like you're failing the team. He's, you know, he needs to be held up by the team as well as, as the fans and the organization. So, um, you, you heard him talk about it last year. It started raining, I think, at the Dodger game, was it, Roy? And um, the, for the first time, they started playing all the small things, which is the local band of Link-182, and the whole stadium broke out and singing the song. Um, and it's just, it's absolutely insane, the reaction to the fans. So for anyone out there with a team, you know, like your Pirates, like your Kansas City Royals, these low, you know, low-budget teams that don't want to spend any money, if you spend money, the fans show up. And I think that's really showing up here in San Diego. Now, I want to ask a question about this huge minor league CBA that finally got reached. You guys mentioned right at the beginning that you've covered it on on your show. Kind of take us through what exactly this is doing. How is this improving the minor league uh, system? Because from everything I've read, this is just – a fantastic thing for all these these minor leaguers. Well, so you need to kind of roll it back. There have been incremental changes over the last few years. Um, but really, when you go back a few years and you look at when all this started to come to press, uh, it was clear that so players were only paid during the season when they were at the affiliate. Uh, they weren't paid for spring training. They weren't paid for fall instructs. They weren't paid in the off season, although ex- they're expected to train and eat and all of this like a professional and try to, you know, be, be better ball players when they come back in spring, but they're not being paid for it during the season. The, the wages that they were being paid were below poverty level, especially when you take into account the number of hours that they were, uh, that they were expected to work during the season. Um, they were responsible for coming up with their own accommodations, which is difficult when you're a seasonal employee, you're only going to be there for a few months. There's a chance that the team might send you up or down a level or release you at any time. So how do you find an apartment with furniture uh, and some kind of lease flexibility that you can, you know, only a few months. So guys were packing in five, six people into a one or two bedroom apartment, sleeping on a mattress on an air mattress in the kitchen uh, just to get by. And then they're responsible for coming up with their own food, even though they're not paid very well. And the spread that they're being given at the ballpark is, is subpar. So now you've got guys living off of McDonald's and Domino's and scraping by with what they can. Um, And that's, I mean, rethink about this in the context of American born players oftentimes, but imagine being a Latin born player where you don't speak the the language very well. You don't know the culture all that well. So you're trying to get by. And at the same time, you're sending a big chunk of your paycheck back home because you're trying to help support a family in a third world country that has all of their hopes and dreams resting on your shoulders. So anyway, what this whole collective bargaining agreement has changed now they're paid all year round, um, except for a six week period between Thanksgiving and New Year's. They're paid a certain rate when they're at the complex. They're paid a certain rate at each level. Each level of play, single A, double A, triple A, their pay has more than doubled from last year. 
Um, there's a stipend for certain things. There's a lot of benefits. Uh, they have life insurance now. Um, they have access to some sort of way to file a grievance with their employer, which was, I mean, you think about that. It, guys wouldn't speak up about the working conditions. They wouldn't speak speak up about feeling that they'd been done wrong by somebody because if you speak up, then your opportunities are going to vanish. And that's, that's kind of how the culture has been for all these years. And so now they actually have rights as employees versus before it was almost like a, a level of, of indebted servitude. If you think about it, that, and everybody goes, well, you're playing a game, you're chasing a dream and all this, it costs money to do this. And guys were coming out of their pocket. A lot of these people come from wealthy families so they can support it. But the guys that weren't, they wound up having to leave the game, not because they weren't good enough to keep going, but because they simply couldn't make ends meet and they had to go, you know, find a, a line of work that they could support. Definitely. Now, going a little bit into the minor league system, who do you think has the next best chance to make it up into this major league roster? So looking at the minor league system right now, the thing with the big league team is that they're so stacked at every position. You've got a player that you can pencil in and say that not just for this year, but for the next two, three, four years, that guy's going to be at that spot. Um, so on the position player side, there aren't going to be a whole lot of opportunities for the foreseeable future. Uh, the pitching side, though, and you've got a solid rotation of veterans right now, but teams use like 10, 12 starters throughout the course of a season. And then the, the bullpen, you never know who's going to wind up getting hot and, and forcing their hand to make their way up. Um, so the first name I'll pull out is Jay Groom. Jay Groom was brought over from the, uh, the Red Sox in the Eric Hosmer trade last year, uh, and he came over, had a pretty good close to his season, but this spring he impressed a lot of guys through spring training. Um, and a lot of people thought that he was going to break camp with the team. Uh, Ryan Weathers wound up coming up with the squad, but he's on the 40 man roster already. Uh, Jay Groom is, um, he's working down in, in El Paso. In fact, I believe he started today's game. Uh, and I feel that when the next opportunity comes up, he's going to be the guy that's going to get called. Yeah. Certainly. Um, now, Donovan, is there anybody else in particular that you like? Well, in, in the system, there are tons of guys that, that we like, but they're very young. You know, uh, starting with the with our you know most popular, I guess you would say, is Jackson Merrill, the shortstop out of 2020, 2022. Uh, our top draft pick out of 2022 had a really great spring, was injured last year in Lake Elsinore, uh, but still hit like 322, uh, is in high A right now, and he's just hit his first high A home run for the Tin Caps. Um, he's off to a slow start, but certainly could rise fast once he gets comfortable in, in, in high A, maybe make it up to double A by the end of the season. The biggest signing most recently is our international signing, and that's the 16-year-old phenom, Ethan Salas, who, um, although he uh, you know, was signed out of Venezuela, was born here in America, and speaks fluent English, uh, the upside on this kid from, from Baseball America to MLB Pipeline, uh, scouts and national writers just can't say enough about this kid. Um, he did catch in some spring training games. He's caught a U Darvish's bullpen. Um, he's hit, I think, two home runs in in the complex. Uh, just recently, he hit a home run off of um, Luis Castillo, who's down there rehabbing. 
And he's 16 years old. You watch this kid, and you would not believe he was 16. He's 6'2". He's got built just similar to like Fernando Tatis Jr. Has that frame, but he's a catcher. And there's lots to like. And I wouldn't be surprised if he makes it up to Elsinore at the age of 16. Or he turns 17 in June uh, by the end of this year. That's certainly fantastic. But, again, you are mentioning a lot of very young guys with – you know, far out ETAs. Do you have any concerns about this older roster, granted experienced roster, but older roster being able to hold up until these reinforcements come? Well, I guess that's a problem that you worry about when the time comes. So you're, you're talking, I mean, Xander Bogarts is what I think he's 30. Manny Machado just turned 30. I mean, these guys are still going to have at least four or five years of, of near peak production before they start to you know get on the wrong side of that aging curve. Um, a lot of things can happen between then. And who knows what might happen at the deadline this year, the Padres may need uh, starting pitching reinforcement. So you might see somebody, somebody moved. Um, and that's just part of the business of baseball. And as, as a couple of guys that cover the, the prospect side of things, it's, it's, it's stung quite a bit over the last couple of years. We've seen so many big trades where the Padres have just emptied out the farm. And these guys we've grown emotionally attached to, they wind up, they wind up coming up through Seattle or through Cleveland or through Tampa Bay system. So we, we follow them from afar. Uh, so you can look at somebody like Jackson Merrill and try to wonder, well, where's he going to fit? Because you got Bogarts at shortstop. You got Tatis out in right field. He could slide back to shortstop. Manny Machado's not moving off third anytime soon. Uh, Cronenworth is going to be an infielder for the next seven years now. Uh, but I'd rather just not worry about it. Because injuries happen. Trades happen. You never know. Now, we'll get back to the minors, of course, but you mentioned two names in there. I'd love your reaction and breakdown on contract-wise. Xander Bogarts, between him and Don Orsillo, you've taken most of everything I love as a Red Sox fan. But at the end of the day, what do you make of his start and his contract as well as the Jake Cronenworth extension? Well, really with, with Xander, well, first things first. We love Don Arcillo and, and Xander uh, excluded. Like he's probably been the best, you know, best catch that we've gotten from from Boston. And uh, he just couples really well with our with our local guy, Mudcat Grant. And they are two peas in a pod. And, you know, it's funny because you watch. I, we watch a lot of baseball. We I watch a lot of, you know, other other teams and other leagues. And you hear the, you know, the broadcasters on the radio and on, on the TV. And they're just so they're just so bland and just so okay they just can't be bothered to be watching the game when these guys are farting around making jokes laughing hardly really following the game and sometimes you do get a little bit of grief from fans because they don't so much follow the game but Xander he, the signing was so was so unexpected and then they were talking about us signing you know Mike uh, not Mike, Mike Judge <laughs> you know Aaron Judge these are contracts. These are things that as Padre fans, we're still like, what are you, you are high. You, if you would have told us that two years ago, we'd have been like, you're, you're, that's not going to happen. Um, he's had a really strong start where someone like Manny Machado is off to a slower start. Xander's already got what? Three home runs, four or five doubles. He's kind of carried this team early on in the season. So, um, you know, a few years back, you know, you, some of these long-term contracts have been spun to get really underneath the salary cap. And that's where I think the big deal is, is lengthening these contracts. And I tell you, 
10 years from now, you put Manny Machado out on the on the concourse signing autographs, he'll be a big enough draw to make to make the money back for sure. Now, just a question, because obviously, like you guys have been saying, the Padres in years past were never a team that would be in contention to, to get these really big name, big uh free agents how much did peter seidler taking over control from john moores a couple years ago how big of an impact has that had because i don't want to say that the padres weren't well run during the john moores area uh, era but i could certainly be wrong but you guys still had somewhat big name players and you know, guys like jake peavy who were going out and winning the Cy Young for you. So how much has the new ownership really changed things, I guess? Well, you can look at this this ownership group. So John Morris sold the team effectively in 2012. Um, and we could go on for an hour about that whole thing. John Morris kind of did the Padres in the city of San Diego dirty a little bit on his way out of town. But anyway, so the ownership that took over at the time was uh, Ron Fowler was the chairman. Um, it's still the same ownership group that's carried on since then. It's just that there's been a, a little bit of shift of the who's in power and who's the majority owner and this kind of thing. So I believe it was before last season, Ron Fowler stepped back. He was the, the figurehead of the ownership group, if you will. He was the guy that was always going on the, the media, um, you know, going on the TV and the radio. So he stepped back and Peter Seidler took over and he took over that chair. And as soon as Peter Seidler sat down, things seem to change about just the opinion of the, the perception of what, how you manage the, the business side of running a team. Um, when we would hear Ron Fowler talk, he was always talking about like, like bottom line, you know, year to year balancing the books kind of stuff. And Peter Seidler doesn't talk about that. He doesn't play like that. He seems to have the different understanding that you're growing a brand, you're growing a franchise. Um, you see what the what the the freaking uh, the Commanders or whatever they're called the 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 Washington Football Team. They're just sell, they're selling for what six billion dollars, something six crazy. Six billion. See, I, I've always said investing in a sports team. I mean, the return on investment is is just. It's crazy. Right. And so he's looking at it, not like, okay, we have to balance the books this year. We have to balance the books every year. There's also this infusion of, of wealth and value that you can get just from increasing the, the brand's value. Now, San Diego only has one major sports team right now. Uh, and so the Padres really are the only show in town. No discredit to the goals and the soccers and the, the, the minor league other sports that we have. Um, and so there is a market here that that is ripe for for the picking. You also have on the other side of the border, you've got Tijuana, which is a huge, huge metropolitan area that you kind of don't realize is right there. I mean, it's 20 minutes from the ballpark. Um, and then signing players like you, Darvish and Hassan Kim. Now you've got some reach internationally and i've heard people that though they've gone and traveled to, to japan they've traveled to seoul and they see, see people walking around wearing padres gear because their favorite player now plays for the san diego padres and so think about the the marketing aspect of that um we, i also understand that the padres they own chunks of land around petco park and there's a, a parking lot right now a very large parking lot and there's a plan for developing this parking lot into like a couple of condo buildings and some commercial space and all of that so 
Peter Seidler really has a, a different long-term vision of, of how to operate a franchise. And I think it's, I hope it's going to change how a lot of other team owners view what they're doing. And we see other teams starting to, to spend like this because what the Padres doing, I mean, people are saying it's not sustainable. I mean, they're going to prove whether it's sustainable or not. Uh, and, but that like what Donovan was saying, the teams like the Royals and the, 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 the A's and the pirates where everybody's just pinching pennies. Like this is kind of exposing that the Dick Monfort up in Colorado and he's kind of screaming at clouds. And I think everybody's just kind of afraid that a lot of their profits are, people are stuffing this money in their pockets when really they could be investing it in the profit, the product on the field and still turning a massive profit at the end when it comes time to sell the team. Now, again, a large part of, at least the outward perception of what the team is doing here by bringing in so many of these guys is, you know, chasing the big one, getting that world series. What else do you think needs to happen for this group in order to get them to that ultimate title? Well, I, I, I really think for this year, there's, a, there's still a lot of questions. It's a very strong lineup. And when you add Tatis next week uh, in Arizona, the lineup is going to be strong. Um, I think on on the roster, the, the pitching is still very much a big question. You got you Darvish, you've got Joe Musgrove that are going to be a solid. They're going to be innings eaters, but you got guys like Nick Martinez who starts tonight, and Seth Lugo, who's been the best starter so far early on. Those guys are being starters for the first time for the full season in their careers. So the the longevity and durability of those guys um, is going to be in question. Blake Snell doesn't usually show up until the second half. You know, he came in, you know, all the you know, local radio station. He came in going, I, I feel different. This is different, you know, best shape of my life. <clears throat> and so far, it hasn't really shown anything. Our bullpen early on sputtered. Now, you know, pitching pitching staffs and bullpens will eventually, you know, settle where they are. But there's still a lot of questions in the back side of that bullpen. With um, another, another uh, arm in the rotation is Ryan Weathers. He came in with a, a whole new windup several ticks on the fastball and and in more shape and break on his slider changeup and curve so he you know but once again he hasn't pitched more than 70 innings in a season and he's going to be our number five number six so there are a lot of questions not only in the rotation but in the bullpen and is it you know is it, it will it even out and once we do if we do get to the playoffs you know it's going to be a big thing uh, Robert Suarez right now is out. We don't have no idea when he was to re- return. A uh, Drew Pomeranz, who we signed, God, I can't. I we signed him for a four-year deal, a three-year deal, about four years ago, and he hasn't pitched an inning. Um, was supposed to make his rehab tonight, and he has the pinched neck. Like his neck hurts. Um, that guy just can't seem to stay healthy. So I think really what's going to happen as as the season gets underway and into the trade deadline, I really think maybe the Padres will be looking for pitching, you know, either in the bullpen or even the rotation, because we do need to to kind of safeguard that you know the kind of the weaker guys in in the rotation. And down in AAA, we have uh, Tehran, we have Jay Groom, uh, that you know that are down there waiting, getting sharp. So there is some kind of depth but we don't know how much that depth is going to really play out once it comes up to the major league so there's the question on this team i really think is pitching right and when you get to the postseason you need to have that strong postseason starting pitching so i mean you look at you look at the mets and they're going to have verlander and scherzer up at the front and that's i mean no no team can really touch that right now uh 
last year they they got by with decent pitching and an offense that was able to pick them up. And I think that's kind of how they're built right now. You've got this offense that's supposed to be a juggernaut once everything starts clicking. So then your starters being more, you know, an ace with a lowercase a and a solid number, a couple solid number twos and threes might be able to get it done. But it sure would be nice to have that that main frontline starter up there. I just want to point out that Fernando Tatis Jr. is playing in a rehab game in El Paso, and he already has two home runs on the game. Uh, they're in the bottom of the fourth inning. All right. Well, actually, El Paso is a decent seg- uh, segue into another question that I'm honestly, as soon as I thought about it, I've been fascinated by. Obviously, you guys following the minor leagues, I'm sure you guys have been, I'm not sure if you guys have been to every one of the minor league ballparks in the system. But among the ones that you've been to, what have been your favorites? I guess I got to speak to this one because I think I've been to more yeah. of them than Donovan has. You've only been to Lake Elsinore, right? Right, right. So Lake Elsinore is about an hour and a half up the road, up to 15 from here. And so it's cool as a Padres fan to head up there. Uh, my wife and I, we go up there at least a handful of times a year. Uh, it's a it's a more dated ballpark. It's 25, 30 years old. They're doing renovations to try to keep it modern. Uh, but I mentioned El Paso. The ballpark that they have in, at El Paso, Southwest College, Southwest Community. I'm I'm the the name of the ballpark is escaping me right now. But it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful modern ballpark that it's got it's got it's one of the bigger ballparks in AAA. Uh, they've got this like four story brick building in right field. They've got the rooftop deck out there. It's the, the beautiful green um, steel framing, kind of like what you see at Fenway or Wrigley a little bit, really neat ballpark right in the middle of downtown. And it's got a really cool vibe. That city comes out and shows up for that team. And then in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, you got Parkview Field. I've had a chance to go to Parkview and to to El Paso, um, and the folks that run Parkview Field, they do such a fantastic job from the top down. It's also right in the middle of downtown, uh, so you've got the backdrop with the with the large buildings of Fort Wayne right there. But it's a beautiful ballpark with a great community and run by the, the best people. Um, neither of us have had a chance to go out to to San Antonio where the Missions play. We've had a chance to talk to some of their folks. Uh, on the podcast. I look forward to getting out there sometime. I understand Wolf Stadium is pretty dated. Uh, it's one of the older ballparks in AA. Um, but, and they're working on on a proposal. They just have new ownership as of this year. And they're working on building a new ballpark in San Antonio. Chances are it's going to be more of a AAA caliber. I think they want to bring AAA baseball back to San Antonio. Uh, but for what it is, Wolf, Wolf Park does the job. Um, and I just, I got to get out there sometime and, uh, see how they run their show. Fantastic. Before we start to wrap up here, I've got, I think, unless Brandon has anything else to add, um, two more questions. Just what are some sleeper guys that you guys are particularly fond of within this minor league system? You go first, Donovan. <laughs> well, well, for me, I'm a big fan of uh, Samuel Zavala. He was a 17-year-old kid last year in Lake Elsinore. He came back again this year, center fielder, nice frame, um, international signing out of Venezuela again. We love our Venezuelans here in San Diego. Um, he's someone to keep an eye on. Also, um, Robbie Snelling just started again this year. So this is another guy in, in Lake Elsinore. Robbie Snelling, we signed him in 2022 as our comp B pick, 39 overall. Um, just he's 19 years old, upper 90s fastball, great shape on the curveball. Uh, he spent all that time in uh, at the complex developing a changeup. 
So he just had his first uh, his first he opened the season for those guys with three innings of like no hit ball or two hit ball. Um, in high A, there's um, a, a guy that I, I Lucas Dunn uh, is a is a guy uh, that that it's in high A that I'm a big fan of. Also, a friend of our podcast is Marcos Castagnon. He is uh, at a UC Santa Barbara. A guy said, you know that if they work hard and you squint and, and they keep at it and they develop, they could be major leaguers. How much of an impact we don't know. Um, and there's still a lot of that young pitching that hasn't got out to um, hasn't got too much recognition. Uh, Kevin Copps came back this year. Uh, he was Golden Spikes winner last season. Kind of floundered in his first pro debut season last year, but has come back and done really well. So Kevin Copps at 26, you know, in in high, I think he's in high age, in double A. Um, you know, if if he's in, he's in double A, yeah. Strong, he, yeah, he could be pushed up to the major leagues maybe sometime this year just due to age and the stuff that he has. So there are a few guys that, you know, we don't have the big names like Mackenzie Gore. We, we traded away James Wood and Bobby Barrels. But there are still several guys in this organization that, that we're high on that I think some of the major uh, national writers are a little high on as well. But certainly keep your eye out for Ethan Salas. That's going to be the big kid coming out lately. Yeah, Castellon, he's playing third base right now for high A. He had a really good year in, in uh, Lake Elsinore last year. He's a third baseman, can play some short and some second base. Uh, the power has all of a sudden shown up. And then Lucas Dunn, he's kind of the dirtbag baseball player. He can play anywhere. Uh, he's got some wheels. A couple of guys that I want to bring up. The Padres, they haven't drafted a lot of first basemen under A.J. Preller. Then suddenly last year they drafted two guys, and one of them just stands out like a lightning bolt on the ballpark. His name is Griffin Dorshing. He's out of Oklahoma State. He's got white, white hair and this big mullet, and he looks like Brian Bosworth. I don't know if you guys know football from the 1980s, but Brian Bosworth was a linebacker who was kind of a media sensation for a little while. And so Griffin Dorshing's like six foot four and just built he's just a freaking brick house out there all he does is hit for power he's like i'm griffin dorsing and i hit dingers love that guy uh on the pitching side victor lizarraga uh he had his first season in lake elsinore last year as an 18 year old he was the age of a he would have been a high school senior last year uh he grew up in tijuana and san diego he decided to move to tijuana and go to a baseball academy there as a 16 year old so he could be signed as an international signee rather than going to high school in the in the united states so fully fluent but a talented kid with life on his fastball and a couple of developing breaking balls that's like donovan was saying the 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 premium talent in the Padres system is at the low levels right now and so like Dylan Lesko drafted last year. Everybody raves about his changeup. He's coming off Tommy John. We're going to have to see what, what he does, but he's starting to throw. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of people up and down the system, uh, but I just, I don't know. There's something about Griffin Dershing that just fascinates me. I want to see the guy just light tower power. I want to see him become like yeah. an Adam Dunn kind of guy. Well, and, and he, Griffin Dershing, I don't know if you guys know, he, his uh, home run at Oklahoma uh, went viral because he hit it like, 450 feet like he hit it over the concessions in their left field and that that video went viral and we picked him up and he hit and 90 uh he had 98 uh, played appearances last year hit nine home runs you know in his first case of pro ball so definitely he, he's going to be real fun uh, a kid that pitched tonight another young kid again pitcher uh hero iriarte another friend of the podcast um young kid throws hard 
you know, but it's a, it's a few years away. It has a lot of development, but there's lots of lots to like with with him and Lizaraga. Fantastic. Well, as we wrap up here, would you guys mind just plugging yourself again? Where can people find you? <clears throat> and then one more um, quick thing here. One thing we do every year is we make a list of our favorite players that haven't played for our favorite team. So if you wouldn't mind, just tell us where we can find you online and then each of your favorite player that hasn't played for the Padres. All right. Well, you can find me on Twitter at SD Donovan and Friars on the farm podcast on Twitter. Uh, I God, you know, we watch a lot of baseball. I, I like, I like Rodriguez up in Seattle. That kid is just fun to watch. He's young, good looking ball player. Um, I'm high on him. All right. My, my handle is at zippy underscore TMS. Uh, and please look us up Friars on the farm. We're on all the, all the streaming things. We've got an Instagram account. We've got a Twitter account. Uh, and my pick's going to be jazz Chisholm. You know, we've, we've watched Fernando Tatis Jr. Come up just with the energy and the swagger that he brings. And he looks like he's having so much fun, but on top of that is the baseball awareness. You see him making some plays and throwing the, the, a different base to get the lead runner. I mean, he's so much fun to watch and jazz Chisholm's that same kind of electric guy on and off the field. He's just, Everywhere he, he goes, I'm sure the eyes are on him. Hey, how's Bobby Dahlbeck doing there for you guys? Um, playing shortstop right now. <laughs> really? <laughs> In- interesting situation. Um, but still hoping for that, that to all come around. Yeah, I, I do want to throw a shout out to a former Padre who's all of a sudden having a good start to the year, Franchi Cordero. He was a fan yeah. favorite the whole time that he was here. And he was one of these guys that you kept wondering, like, when is he going to put it together? The guy's got, I mean, power for days. He was the power speed combo and it just never quite worked. He couldn't stay on the field. So seeing him get off to a hot start with the Yankees, couldn't be happier for him. Uh, he has been just fantastic. The clutch hits too. Just, just great. Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to have to wrap it up. It's always so tough to uh, wrap up these conversations with you guys because you're fantastic. But definitely, we'll talk again a lot sooner than this last gap. But it's great to see you. Thanks for having us, guys. All right. Thank you, guys. You have a nice night. All right. Well, we're going to jump after that fantastic time with Roy and Donovan. We're going to jump on into our second guest of the night here, Ryan McCarthy. Ryan, you are officially in studio. How are you doing, buddy? Oh. We yep. can't hear you. Oh, we got him now, I think. About to uh, connect to uh, No Credentials Required, so because uh, I can stream to both uh, YouTube and Twitter on uh, for, for No Credentials Required. But no, the, uh, guys, they, things are great. How about you guys? You know, fantastic life getting busier and busier by the day, it feels like. But baseball always brings it, makes it worth it. So why don't we kind of just open things up here? Tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, my day job is not podcasting or writing for Belly Up Sports, but during the, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm I'm the co-host of the No Credentials Required podcast. I'm also a senior writer with Belly Up Sports, so I also help run videos. You know, kind of a jack of all trades uh, thing with uh, Belly Up Sports. But my primary focus right now is on No Credentials Required, and I'm uh, uh, getting some writing done. The, the NFL draft's coming up because so, I'm the beat writer for the Jets, so New York Jets. So the draft's coming up. It's going to be a very exciting time. And apparently there's, we're getting a new quarterback <laughs> one of these days. 
now completely off topic, but I am fascinated to hear your thoughts on the Aaron Rodgers situation. Um, you have to just give us a quick take. Hurry up and get it done. I feel like I'm being held hostage. <laughs> Listen, that's exactly I'm, how we want it. That's exactly how how it that's how they apparently apparently so. Apparently, he, there's a report that he's they said to the Jets, no, don't don't take your time, take your time. But I think as we get closer to the draft, one of these teams is going to be desperate. So. Um, and I'm hoping it's the Packers. People are saying the Packers have all the leverage. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not the case at all. But I think part of the part of the reason why it's held up is because they're discussing compensation for whether or not he plays next year and this year and next year. And there's also the compensation if he reaches the Super Bowl in one of these two years that he goes that he gets when he gets traded to the Jets. It's the compensation piece about when if if the Jets go to the Super Bowl. So, but the you know it could be the 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 picks one of the picks they're looking for is a compensation pick. It could be as high as a first round pick if they go to the Super Bowl. So it's that's part of the reason why things are kind of being held up. But I think as we get closer to the draft, which is two weeks away, gentlemen, two weeks from today, uh, one of these teams is going to get desperate. I think it's going to be the Packers just because they're they're coming to his roster bonus and they had to owe him sixty million dollars <laughs> instead of the 40 mil he's getting this year. So yeah, it's tense situation, but I think they'll, I'm hoping they get it done very, very soon. So Ryan, would you mind telling us no credentials required? Certainly a fascinating um, name, but what's the concept behind it? Well, right now the concept behind it, we just, right, our primary focus this year is, has been NFL. Uh, has been the NFL season, uh, but now that we got baseball coming, we got baseball season starting. We're focusing on that primarily right now. We're going to go into the Stanley Cup Finals, so we're kind of all over the, the sports, the sports, uh, I guess spectrum. I guess, I guess you could say. But we've also covered local sports. We also cover the Albany Empire. We last year we covered the Albany Firewolves. Uh, we're going to try to cover the the Valley Cats this year. So we're, we're focuses on primary focus primarily on national sports, but we also dig into local the local scene as well here in the Albany, New York area. Fantastic, and that's kind of the uh, spark of this connection here. Certainly, as we are both Saratoga uh, kids. Ryan, you live in Boston Spa, correct? Well, I wouldn't necessarily call me a kid, LJ. Just <laughs> <laughs> a scotch older than you, but yeah, we're we're both from the five, the muddy five one eight. It's a uh, loud and proud, as we say. Yeah, certainly a great place for all three of us to be from. And honestly, that'll also bring up a fourth year because this is, I mean, technically it's the first minor league or second minor league segment of the year, as with the move away from MLB daily, we're talking into other sections as technically Ian Anderson down in triple a undergoes Tommy John. We're bringing in this group, a guess a panel of five, one eighters to talk about another one. <laughs> um, quite certainly quite the blow to all of us up here. What have your, your experiences been with Ian Anderson? It's awesome to see someone, another athlete from my, um, my high school alma mater, uh, Shenandoah high school, go on to do big things in, in big leagues. Kevin Herter doing awesome things with the Sacramento Kings. Help he helped them got he helped them go to uh, uh, win the Pacific Division in the NBA this year. And Ian Anderson, World Series champion in, in 2021. It's it's really awesome to see prof- the kids from the high school area from the high schools in our area uh, make it big. You know, they're not the, they're not the first 
pro athletes to make it into make it in uh, from this area. Uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, Anthony, I think it was Anthony Brown from um, Saratoga, from Saratoga. He played for the Ravens and the Titans uh, a long time ago. I went to Notre, got a scholarship to Notre Dame. But Ian Anderson, Kevin Herter, um, just awesome to see guys from the five one eight make it up to the uh, big leagues. And it's, guy, it's unfortunate. Another guy that is in the MLB right now that is from the five one eight is uh, Kevin Smith, who plays for the mm-hmm. Oakland Athletics. He's from from East Greenbush, uh, ah. which is so not too far away. I mean, I've always said this. I thought that. For our area, the tri-state area, whatever you want to call it there. Uh, capital the, region. Capital region, yeah, I'd say that's probably the one I was looking for. The sports talent that they can produce kind of year after year. I mean, lots of D1 college players in a, yeah. a lot of different sports, both men's and women's. Uh, and then especially baseball. I, I mean, someone that graduated from LJ and I's high school and coincidentally played for the Padres uh, was Tim Stauffer, who yep he played spot Christian. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's where LJ and I were, were uh, students at for high school. So hey. see him being the MLB. And uh, I think Tommy Canely, who's on the Yankees, he has some ties back to yep. the five one eight as and, well. And, Just- and I, I mentioned it's Anthony Weaver, not Anthony Brown, who played at Sar- as plays for, for Saratoga high school back in the day. I think he's a coach with the, He's a, he's an NFL coach somewhere. We, and we forgot to mention Andre Jackson Jr., who recently just won the national title. I was, with about, I was about to step in soon if no one no one brought him up. And Joe Girard here at Syracuse as well. Oh, also. Of course, JG3. Plen- Can't forget plenty JG3. of names. Plenty my of journalism names. my journalism career started in the era of JG3. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one more five one eight connection, guys. Uh, Pete MacArthur, he's the head coach of the the uh, Adirondack Thunder in the ECHL. They're You're they're. Right. On the verge of a playoff spot in the North Division from from a really poor start, so good on good on P- Coach Pete MacArthur, Shenandoah High School graduate, another Shen graduate. And of course, you know this is a tough situation to see Ian Anderson get this step setback, especially when he was kind of in this really key—I would call it a key development era. We talked with uh, Matt Arcara from the. Batflip podcast, another belly up sports show here two weeks ago. And he's like, realistically, this guy has, you know, his breaking stuff is really good, but the rest of the stuff around it wasn't good enough to support it long-term on the major league level yet needed to come back down. And now is going to miss some of that time. Realistically, you know, how long do we, are we thinking until we start seriously seeing Ian Anderson in the majors again? I think it's going to be about 12 to 14 months. That's typically for baseball, at least for baseball pitchers, that's typically what it is. Uh, but Tommy John is not a death sentence like he was like it was a long time ago. The recovery time is much, much quicker because of the pre- procedures have gotten the procedures a lot more. It's a lot more common these days. So, yeah, you'll see a guy go down with Tommy John surgery, but they'll their careers will last longer. I mean, I, I mean, you're seeing it, young, it more and more in younger players now. Because they're learning how to develop their stuff, and sometimes the UCL gets gets a little uh, gets a little a little twinge in their UCL, but they can have that repaired. They can be they can yeah they'll miss a season and then they'll go and they'll they won't start to play again until the next season. But the younger the player is, their career is going to going to go longer. 
So I think this is not a, necessarily a bad thing for Ian Anderson. Yeah, it's a setback in his development. In the long run, he's going to be a better pitcher for it because his because he's having it. I think I don't think he's only even twenty two or twenty three years old, if I'm not mistaken. I think, I think he just turned twenty three or twenty two or twenty three. So he's still a young guy, and I, I think he's it's, it's, this is this is a good thing for. I mean, the, in the long run, yeah, it'll be it'll be it'll be good for him. Right now, in the short term, it's a bummer because the the Braves lose another arm, but. It could work to his advantage because he can have he can prolong his career with this surgery. And I just uh, check he's twenty four. Oh, he's twenty four. Well, that was again, <laughs> yeah, it's we're still, live, folks. <laughs> it one hundred percent still hits home the same factor. It's just yeah. again, it's brutal to watch a guy now, especially when he's in this waiting game to get to that glory. Mm-hmm have that waiting game be double the time, but I, I certainly hope he ends up coming back stronger than ever. I was kind of licking my uh, chops earlier, watching this Yankees box score come through, knowing Ugh. that you two would be here tonight. Um, I was wondering if we could react overall to how this game went. went on. Uh, I did not watch the game. I was actually at my, uh, my buddy's house. I, I take crowd. I take, uh, I'm a student of Krav Maga, the martial art. So I, I didn't watch the game, but I saw the, the box score. I'm looking at the box score right now, and uh, woof. Uh, Joey Brito did not have a good night. Didn't even get out of the first inning, and even and even IKF had it through an inning. So that's how bad things got for the Yankees tonight. Um, but overall, I'm pretty pleased with how the season's gone so far. They, they've they've won four straight series to start the year, and it, it's it's good to see. The, the, they've got a couple arms that are missing right now with. Uh, 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 that um, I can't remember his name. I just mentioned him the other day. Um, Rodon. Rodon. Yeah, he's going to be out for a bit, and Sevy's going to be out for a bit. And they lost uh, Frankie Montas. I don't think he's going. I don't think he's going to pitch this year. But the young guys have kind of held things up until well, up until tonight. Joey Brito has had had a couple of good outings. Nestor Cortez, he's doing his usual thing. Garrett Cole, he's dominant as he's dominant as always until somebody complains about the ticky tack on his, on his, uh, on his hand. But um, no, it, it's the, the one concern I always have with the Yankees is starting pitching up until tonight. It was, it's been pretty solid um, hitting. Hitting is always going to be there. And, and the pleasant surprise right now is Franchi Cordero picked him up on waivers after, after spring training, it's got four home runs already. And I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that at all. Um, now it's gonna, it's going to be interesting to see who's going to be the odd man out in the outfield. Right now, it appears to be uh, a young man named Aaron Hicks, who was highly touted when they when they traded him, brought him in from the Twins. Um, but after signing that large contract of his, he hasn't performed up to expectations. He had a little bit of a rough time yesterday uh, in that uh, game in that rubber match against the Guardians. But I think. Having Frenchie Cordero as a pleasant surprise right now, and you're always gonna have you, and you're always gonna have Aaron Judge be as dominant as he is. He's been, he's proven, he's he's starting to prove his chops as the defending MVP of this league. So, I'm up until tonight, I'm I'm pretty pleased with see how the Yankees are doing. Yeah, honestly, I've as a as a fellow Yankees fan myself, I really don't have any any complaints to start the year. Sure. The injuries 
hurt. And I'm really excited to see Carlos Rodon get out there and pitch for us because he's been so good the last few years. But, you know, I would much rather him be fully healthy. You know, we get it where the the weather's a little bit warmer. The arms actually start to heat up, like literally heat up. And um, the offense has been pretty solid so far, not too many complaints and once you get Harrison Bader back that's just another bat to add to the lineup and he was so impactful in the playoffs last year I mean with yep. I think he had four home runs in our in our playoff run uh and of course in uh in in center field there's not many that are that are better out there uh than than him so I think that there is a lot to look forward to this year you know I heard a few complaints that other than Rodon, we didn't really do much to the team. And it's like, yeah, but also if you have that second ace, when if you're talking about trying to get past the Astros, sure, we pitched well enough in that series, but imagine if you had another guy like a Garrett Cole or like a Carlos Rodon to throw out there in, in a series in the playoffs. It just makes this team even more scarier. You go and you re-sign Rizzo. Of course, you get Judge. Uh the offense is definitely where I, I I think it's pretty pretty solid and a, a top a top lineup around the league for sure. And the pitching seems to be fine for now. Sure, Johnny Brito had a rough start tonight, but we know how Brian Cashman likes to build his teams. Always a really strong bullpen, uh, and it, it'll be a wild ride for sure. It's still early. Way too many games left to start making any kind of assumptions. But heading into the year, I was I was super confident in, in the team, especially off of a really, really good season, all things considered, last year. My biggest worry for this year is, what, I mean, last year we had 1A and 1B. 1A was Cole, 1B was Cortez. I didn't expect this kind of season that Nestor Cortez had. And he's uh, from last year, and he's carried it on this year. So, I, I but I would like to see Cole establish that dom, be that dominant ace they brought. They paid him three hundred plus million dollars to be, and right now, I mean, right now, all indications are he's he is that guy. He is back to being a dominant ace. That's why he brought him. They, that's why you brought him in. And God bless the Seattle Mariners for trading for uh, releasing <laughs> releasing Nestor Cortez because he wouldn't be a Yankee. He wouldn't be a Yankee today, and. They got their they got their one lefty that they're that they've always had they've always had a dominant lefty you know I, from from the the core four years Andy Pettit was that dominant lefty for so long for so long Whitey Ford Ron Guidry you look down the line of Yankees history you see they always have a dominant left handed pitcher and C. this C. era CC Sabathia yeah exactly and this this era it's Nestor Cortez and you gotta have that you gotta have that. Dominant right-hander and that dominant left-hander. That's the way the Yankees have always had it. Have always been when it comes to pitching. Absolutely. Now this is a kind of an, a bit of an argument. I think I eventually swayed Brandon to say see my side on this, but this is more of a philo- management philosophy thing. I've got to ask you. Obviously, there's no <laughs> real place for Isaiah Kiner-Falefa on this team, especially at the production level he gave you last year and started to give you this year. But most of the indication comes from, comes that this man is playing center field because the Yankees have already locked in to give him $6 million. 
when you are the biggest brand in all of sports, how much money is too much money to just cut loose just to get rid of, get rid of a guy? I feel like $6 million would fall in that category, but where does that – where do you see it? I mean, $6 million to the Yankees is a drop in the bucket, honestly. It's just $6 million being a drop in the bucket for the Yankees is, is expensive for a team like the Rays or the A's. I mean, I don't know. Aaron Boone's managerial style reminds me of Brandon Staley in the NFL because he's so locked in with the analytics. I, that's the problem with a lot of the managers I have. They don't rely on feel. That's why I love Dusty Baker. He's on the he's in the he's the Astros. He's the arch enemy right now, but I love and respect him because he's got that veteran experience that relies on feel. You don't have to rely on numbers. Don't have to rely on situational. On, I mean, he relies more on situational stuff than the numbers. That's what Aaron. But Aaron Boone is the reverse. He gets in his head. He gets in his own head too much, and it leaves and it and think bad things happen when that happens. So, in regards to IKF, if you can trade him during the season, but maybe before the deadline, pick him up pick up another bat. Great, that's six million dollars going elsewhere. But yeah, six million dollars is to the Yankees is just a drop in the bucket, and whatever whatever Aaron Hicks is getting paid too is also the same another drop in the bucket because you're already paying you're already paying Aaron judge what 40 million a year oh, yeah you're, yeah, you're paying you're paying Garrett Cole 35 million a year like, come on six million you're gonna complain about that you can make that up in TV in TV advertisements <laughs> I mean come on six mil Brennan, did you have something to say here? Yeah, to speak on the Aaron Boone thing, I, I totally agree. And I think that analytics comes down to where over a large sample size, the analytics will win. Sure. That's how you get into the playoffs. You will leverage those analytics. But once you get to the playoffs and it's like it really comes down to it, that's where guys like a Dusty Baker yep. succeed so well because – in the playoffs, it is all feel. The nerves are jacked up. Every pitch matters more than ever. I mean, mm -hmm. some of my friends here don't watch baseball at all until it gets into the playoffs, and they're locked in. I mean, that's the thing about playoff baseball is one swing of the bat and everything, the in your entire season could change, right, from just one swing of the bat. That's where I totally agree. Feel matters so much more and just knowing – the right thing to do, given the energy, just everything in the stadium. Uh, totally agree uh, that at some point you got to throw the analytics away. You could argue that's why the Rays lost the World Series a few years ago against the Dodgers. They pull Blake Snell right in game six after he was pitching so well because the analytics told them, you know, third time through the lineup, we, we're not sure if we should do this. And it ends up really really hurting them but yeah i mean you are you're spot on right there with that now of course going back to last year you barely squeak by the best manager in the league you go with um you've got the uh you've got the best excuse me um <laughs> you've got the best manager in the league, you barely squeak by, and then you end up falling to another one of the great managers. What do you need to do to 
really get to that next level. Do you think this group has enough? I think they have enough in terms of hitting. Pitching wise, well, pitching wise, they I think they match up well. They can get by. They can get through. I think they need one more arm, especially if 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 uh, Rodon's going to be out long term. I, I keep hearing he's close. He's close. He's close. Okay, but where is he? <laughs> and you got Severino. You got Severino already on the IL, and who knows how how long Brito's going to be in the lineup in the rotation until either Severino or Rodon comes back. I think they get one more arm, and they get one more veteran bat. And I think that might help them get over the top. Now they re-signed Judge. They they did enough. They did it enough to get to where they they right now the 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 mission is to beat the Astros. This team's built to beat the Astros. They're not built to win the World Series. I feel like they need one more arm and they need one more veteran bat, and that'll get them over the top. Trade deadline in late July. I think Cashman will try to do some magic, like he did last year although I'm still kind of befuddled about the Jordan Montgomery trade. Uh, but I understand when Harrison Bader came along, I got it. I got it. <laughs> that's what I fully feel. That's why I fully figured out what, why the method behind his madness. Cause everybody wanted, everybody wanted Cashman fired when they traded Montgomery. Then Harrison Bader comes along, hits those four home runs in the postseason. They're like, okay, Cashman, Cashman can keep his job. <laughs> but I think one more, one veteran bat and one, veteran arm i think that could put them not only past the astros but they also could bring them a world series title that ever elusive world series title that hasn't been around in 14 years fantastic as we wrap up here i'll extend the uh same question i extended to roy and donovan to you here one of the big things we do is favorite players that didn't play for our favorite team. If you wouldn't mind, do any particular players come to mind that you've loved watching over the years? Does it have to be in this particular uh, decade, or could it be no. in past decades? Whatever. Up to you. Tony Gwynn. I would have loved to see Tony Gwynn in pinstripes. God rest his soul. I would have loved to see him in pinstripes between the, you couldn't get him out. You couldn't get him out period. That's why his batting average, one of the best batting averages in the modern era. Plus that short porch in left field. He could hit not, I mean, he wasn't the biggest, he wasn't a power header per se, but I can see him launch a few bombs over that short fence in Yankee stadium, but he was a hitting machine. And he was my, was arguably my favorite hitter growing up other than Don Mattingly. Uh, was Tony Gwynn. That's it's that was one guy I would love I would have loved to see in pinstripes at number with the number 19 on his uh on his on the back of his jersey. Fantastic. Well Ryan as we wrap up here why don't you just plug yourself again and tell people where to find you. Yeah so no credentials required we're we're streaming now we do live stream on Tuesday nights at seven uh, we might switch up the day of the week pretty soon. Now that my co-host is ending uh, a personal commitment he has on Monday nights. Uh, but we typically stream on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and Facebook and also Twitter. You can find our show at facebook.com forward slash no creds req on YouTube. Just search for no credentials required on Twitter. It's at no creds req. 
personally for me you can find me on twitter at who is ryan mcc uh you can find my articles on bellyupsports.com well fantastic ryan you have a wonderful evening it was great to talk to you again absolutely you guys stay cool <laughs> it's hot outside oh, yeah. <laughs> insane insane all right have a nice night ryan thanks guys appreciate you that's gonna wrap things up in terms of guests for tonight that's not ready yet um we're struggling a little bit here with the production side of things tonight but we'll get there um either way it was certainly fantastic conversations between roy donovan ryan thank you all to everyone who's come on so far in this show this year has all been fantastic any key takeaways from you brandon out of all of this you know i really liked both interviews tonight i, I you know i shouldn't call them interviews it's more just kind of very fireside chats if we have a little yeah. fireplace in the background here it's like Absolutely. back in the great depression i thought well, that's that not, that's that's not doesn't paint the picture i wanted but it's okay. i thought that the whole conversation regarding the milb cba was was awesome to get a, a very detailed explanation as to you know what exactly the conditions were like before this CBA was signed and now afterwards it's just night and day and that was great and then also I mean Ryan has some fantastic insight regarding the Yankees I really really like that comment he made about Aaron Boone comparing him to a Dusty Baker and things like that and I also thought that his lineup saying that the Yankees that, that, that this team is built to beat the Astros and not to win the World Series couldn't be more true especially when you just Think about the moves that the Yankees have made the last few years. Sure, obviously, end goal was to win the World Series, but it feels like that they've become so frustrated by not getting past Houston in the last couple of years that, that, that now they're doing everything just to be able to get past Houston. And if we're able to do that, that's a success at this point, which I don't want to say is a bad way of thinking because if you do think end of the day, they will be the matchup in the ALCS, of course, that's what you want. But maybe less focus on specifically that and more focus on building a good team overall, which, look, I'm not on the front office. I'm sure that end of the day, that's what they're trying to do. But I thought that, that his his statement uh, regarding that was, was very, very good. And again, that kind of wraps up to a – take I'd made a while ago where with the Boston Celtics, it always felt like over the last couple of years, it's been this obsession with Kyrie and it's been this obsession with the Nets and feeling like once they are, as long as they're all together for the playoffs, they're the best team and they're the team to beat. And this whole concept, everything was so hyper-focused on the Nets. All of a sudden they get past them in the first round with ease. And then it's like, now what was kind of the feeling around that group. It's a very similar situation to what the Yankees are in right now but brandon are we ready to go into this final topic here we've got for the evening lj i believe so and i think we can fit this in before 11 as well so we should be we should be oh, we should, hopefully we can quite easily um we're going to leave this a lot more um free range than we have in years past but our annual favorite players as we've discussed multiple times none of these guys will have played for the red sox or the yankees respectively and I'm really interested to see where Brandon went this year. Brandon, did you completely remake your list this year? Because I tried to, and it feels harder now than ever to rank guys. So I end up really end up with I've got a I've got a very loose ranking, but 
it's more just a large handful of players that I really, really like. Yeah, there's a few holdovers from years past, to be honest. I remember probably six or seven guys on my list from last year, and quite a few of them are on this list. But over the years, and especially watching a lot of baseball last year and already this year, some new names have certainly popped up. And LJ, you're right. Trying to rank them is quite near next to impossible. But uh, yeah, I'm excited for this. I'm always excited to see who LJ picks. I know a few guys that are 100% going to be on LJ's list uh, for good reason, of course. Uh, but yeah, super excited. LJ, uh, we, you did top 10, but you also have a few guys that are just kind of there, right? Like also. I have, I have some guys that are there. I'm trying to count this out. I think I have eight guys that just came up that I was like, all right, they kind of are up there for one reason or another. Um, you want me to run through those guys real quick? Actually, sure, yeah, run through the honorable mentions. The my, yeah. my seven honorable mentions. Um, two, three, excuse me, four of these guys, four of the seven coming over from my list two years ago, which is the only one I could find, oddly enough. But that those being Paul Goldschmidt, George Springer, UConn grad, Joey Votto, and Evan Longoria. Of course, you know, among that, Vado, Longoria, guys that have honestly I've associated with my childhood. Just fantastic players, big game players growing up that were so fun to watch. And then also a couple newcomers in here. Um, Adley Rutschman, so much fun. I have enjoyed every game I've watched where he's been a part of it because I feel like catchers, if you get a good defensive catcher that can also hit, like a Real Muto, like a Rutschman, it's just – or even a Will Smith, I'll, I'll go ahead and say. Maybe he oh, had yeah. a, not, not as good as the, those two guys defensively, but still good enough. You see so much value in entertainment out of watching these guys because you get to see so many opportunities with them. And so every time you go out there, not only are you getting to see Rutschman hit bombs, but you get to go see him frame pitches, call pitches, block balls all through the inning after. Um, the other guy here, speaking of catchers, I could not remember my boy. Who do you think I'm going to say here, Brandon? Oh, is it Garrett Stubbs? It's Garrett Stubbs. Garrett Stubbs. Let's go. Greatest backup catcher in the league. MVP. Just hand it to him. Dude hits bombs. If it weren't for JT Realmoto, I honestly feel like he could be starting somewhere. But for the meantime, I mean, why, why leave a great situation? LJ, my few holdovers that I have, uh, actually, it's all hitters, uh, to my surprise. Just realized that. I have a lot of pitchers on my list. Don't worry. Uh, Juan Soto, previously really high on my list. Uh, I don't know. I I still like him, but I just – I don't know. Something's off. Julio Rodriguez and Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez's swing is just, I mean, and Jaron Akiviet was talking about a Mets prospect who has a very similar swing to Jordan Alvarez. It is quite near perfect for a power hitter. I mean, I think that he's fantastic. And J-Rod, LJ's a big fan of J-Rod, could potentially be on your list. I'm not sure, but um, like uh, I believe it was uh, Donovan that said, you know, just how much he he – likes watching him play and he's you know i've talked to a seattle fan back in saratoga 
when I was there for spring break, he said that this is the reason J rods, the reason why he got back into the team first player since Ken Griffey, that he's really taken, you know, a lot of attention to. So those are my three. Well, I'm going to, before we get in, I think go um, 10 through four or 10 through six on this next group. But before I get into that, I find it interesting because in my head going through this, I only have three pitchers on this list. And I find that just so odd because I'm a person who genuinely does love watching great pitching battles. But at the same time, I just, maybe it's, I just enjoy the environment it brings, but like none of those guys necessarily flashed out at me as being, Oh, this is the guy. He is him. I end up again, three to seven when you've got, you know, more than half the pit players in the league are pitchers or actually I might be pulling that completely out of my, but I probably am. What is the different, what is the uh, discrepancy between that Brandon? Do we know, or do you know off the top of your head? It would be like 13. Um, I think it's 13, 12 on it or 13. And okay. it might be 14, 12 on every team. Okay. So, all right. So then again, position players are the majority, but, uh, Seven to three does not seem it's certainly not indicative of the amount of players that's the end of ends up being the way I go. But from 10 to six, starting at 10, money mark, money Mike Harris, um, one of the most exciting players to watch at the beginning of last year, just continues on work. Can't wait to see him get healthy and you know, just keep playing awesome, awesome baseball for the Braves for many years. Shane Bieber, first pitcher on this list. I've loved his stuff for a very long time and just keep, you know, I'm just waiting for people to remember how good this guy is because he keeps putting up season after season, which is just incredibly underrated each and every time. Eight, Dansby Swanson. Look, the bat's here. This is a guy, great flow, you know, fun family life uh, life to uh, watch online. Um. You know, it just he it's got it, he's got it all now that he's got the bat really going here at this point in his career makes him so much more fun. Even though I've always been a sucker for the Andrelton Simmons type, the defensive shortstop, you know he could have made this list without that. This was the ultimate like nail in the coffin to get him in there. And then moving on into the rest of this group, Julio Rodriguez and Trey Turner. I've become more and more of a sucker for speed as I've gotten older. And now with the stolen base stuff, I feel like next year it's going to be all fast fast boys. It's going to be all speedy leg boys going into this group. A Mike right Talkman here. type. The Ron Bisons. The this whole group again. Yeah, Julio Rodriguez, fantastic player, fantastic young talent who was already grabbing so many bags last year. And I can't believe that that's the peak of, of J-Rod. This guy's going to become the, the you know, the fish king here with the Mariners and be one of the best players in that franchise's history. And Trey Turner, I think you could have gotten me. We could check back. He might have been on my least favorite players list last year. Interesting. Okay. Uh, it was the World Baseball Classic that did it for you, though, right? Polar shift. I don't know. I just hadn't. I had not seen this man prove it in a meaningful forum where he could actually prove that he could show up and beat the star. Like 
he never t- had that alpha mentality where he could go go and really lead a team. And then you watch him in that World Baseball Classic. It almost felt like he came into his own, even though he's been here for a very long time. And so that was a major tone shift for me with him. Yeah, spoiler, I have Trey Turner on my list as well. And LJ, I remember at the end of the 2021 season, we did our MVP ballots. And you were destroying me for having Trey Turner like second or third or something on that on my ballot. I mean, it was you would have thought that that he put up a 80 OPS plus season the, the way that that you were talking. So, very nice to see you uh flip, but I believe you was that your 10 through 6 right there? That was my 10 through 6, yes. LJ, my 10 through 6 will start off with a hitter. Uh it's Kyle Tucker. Huge fan of this guy. Uh, I think the sky is the limit for him. And is the one player on the Astros that, other than Jordan Alvarez, that I kind of like. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, not mean to sneeze there. Um, Kyle Tucker, LJ, look. Back-to-back seasons getting MVP votes. Was an all-star last year a gold glove he won last year you're talking over 400 games in the league and he's got a 130 ops plus i mean just fantastic what this guy has been able to do so far and super overlooked on that astros team so he's at 10 number nine i had to throw one relief pitcher in here it is not bruce or gratterall for those that have been longtime listeners of the show. It is, in fact, Joan Duran. Um, I'm always a sucker for these guys to throw ridiculously hard and just have nasty pitches. And uh, I guess it's Joan Duran, as baseball reference is showing me here for the pronunciation. Um, you would think my ninth favorite player. Anyways, um. Really good, really nasty stuff. He throws a splitter like in the high 90s. Super filthy. Love him. Lance Lynn at number eight. Look, I mean, what other pitcher goes out there on the mound and throws like just three different fastballs basically? And he just says, okay, like try to hit it. Like I'm just going to be pumping Ched the whole night. Um, Also, he gets really pumped up when, when he gets strikeouts. He calls the batters like, Bush League and stuff just to hype himself up. I mean, nothing better than a good old Lance Lynn star. Also, Yankees legend Lance Lynn should should bring that up as well. Oh my God, I just realized Lance Lynn did play for the Yankees. Get him out of here. Get him out. All right. No more of this. Lance Lynn is out of my list. He's not at number eight. What we'll do is we'll move J Rod to 10. So it's Kyle Tucker, nine, Jawan Duran, eight, Trey Turner at seven. LJ did him justice. And at six, we're going with Zach Gallen of the Diamondbacks. Been a big fan of him for quite a while now. He had that crazy streak going, I think, into last year where the first however many starts of his career was at least over 30. Uh, he had given up uh, three earned runs or less. Streak has since broken, but uh, finished fifth in Cy Young voting uh, last year and had a fantastic season. Uh, is the ace of that Diamondbacks uh, team that 
I'm hoping at some point I can turn it around. So much talent. Alec Thomas, Corbin Carroll, Cattell Marte. Come on, step it up here. Uh, but, yeah, Zach Gallon at six for me. I'm going to take a quick break here to defend myself here. Yes, I gave Trey Turner justice. But this ballot from you, Brandon, is still atrocious. Atrocious. Yeah, here. We've got – well, for starters, let's just go into the – Soto over Harper take here. He just still feels steaming hot in my eyes. He, he had like a 500 batting average in the second half. LJ, I want to pull up my ballot compared. I know people who've had a 500 batting average. Okay. Or sorry, 500 on base percentage. Um, I, My ballot compared to the league to the actual ballot, I went, I went Soto, Harper at two, and then what, Trey Turner or Tatis three? It was Trey Turner at three, but we're going to get there in a minute. Okay. It still doesn't change the absolute monster performance that Bryce Harper did, fought through injury that year to play 141 games, put together, you know, all around a great performance defensively, certainly better than Soto was that year. And absolutely mashing the ball, a 615 slugging percentage, led the league, led the majors in doubles. This guy was an absolute stud. I'm going to defend myself here because Juan Soto got six first place votes and Trey Turner got one. Who won? Okay. Yeah. Bryce Harper won, but LJ, this is Bryce Harper was so unconvincing as MVP that four people thought it should go to Brandon Crawford. Uh, I mean, that's, that's how crazy. Speaking of Brandon Crawford, let's talk about all the guys that should have been over Trey Turner in this ballot. Trey, uh, okay, Brandon Crawford finished fourth ahead of Trey Turner in the actual ballot. I, I don't get what the Trey Turner hate was from that year. He won the batting title. The Trey uh, Turner hate is this, Brandon. It's the same case. He led the I National felt, League in stolen bases. I mean, I mean, what I is still, I still feel this way looking back at this season is for an MVP, not only, you don't just have to be good. There's a lot of players that are good. Luis Arias could be up there in the by this same logic. Be up there um demanding first place votes no it's, he didn't put up 6.4 war last year though but trey turner had a half more war than harper did for on baseball reference and not that that's everything but that's it means something my in my eyes it's more than just being good it's more than just having a productive year it's about having a productive year and being the most impactful or yeah, no, the, you have to be the most impactful player on your own team and still have your team succeed or be the reason for your team's success in order to be in this situation. And that's ultimately why I dropped him down. I did not think Trey Turner, great season, seventh place season in my eyes. But at the end of the day, who did more to create their team's success? In my eyes, Fernando Tatis did more to get the Padres into playoff position, eventually it all came crashing down. Part of that he was hurt for, but into position. Brandon Crawford let spearheaded a insane rejuvenation from that San Francisco Giants team. Freddie Freeman led the eventual, eventual World Series winners, and that wasn't everything seeing we hadn't even seen that happen at the point that we picked this, but it certainly gives a lot more legitimacy to him having massive, massive impact on a team that didn't have Ronald Acuna on it, lost their best player, had another 
amazing player step up and fill in those shoes. And looking at the Dodgers alone, I would say he's the third most impactful, was the most third most impactful player on that run when it came down to it. And that's and the reason the other guy didn't get votes was just because he did have, you know, he didn't have his best season Mookie bets, 126 OPS plus that year. But why did he also still feel so much more impactful in the major games? Why did the fear factor still go to Mookie Betts and not Trey Turner? And more so, I didn't end up giving it giving him the spot over Turner, but I would argue Max Scherzer was better for the Dodgers down the stretch than Turner was after that trade. He was great. No, he was great. So again, here we're listing a bunch of guys that he clearly at best rivaled, certainly did not top. That's why I can't put him that high on this list. LJ, you make great points. Let's just not forget Lamont Wade Jr. did get a 10th place vote on someone's ballot that year with a whopping 808 OPS. So the voters really didn't know where to go um, that, that, that year to say the least. But right, well, Before we go too far over here, over an argument over two years ago's MVP ballots. Uh, I'm what else do you expect from us? Come on now. Five to one. Starting at five, Shohei Otani. Um, it, it was only a matter of time for him to continue to put up this type of production for everyone in the world to just fall in love with him. And for me, again, it also so many of my ties with respect to players comes from this World Baseball Classic. The fact that you are a guy who everyone constantly wants to worry about being overworked because he pitches and hits, which I don't understand how he does it and doesn't get absolutely dogged year in, year out. But he somehow manages to do it. But he's also got enough respect for his country to go out there and put himself in that type of risk, pitching and hitting for his country in in all those games, getting those starts, coming in in relief the day after his start and still hitting in all of those games. Unreal stuff and unreal grit from Shohei Otani throughout that run. Nolan Arenado comes in at fourth. Um, one of the best, if not, no, probably the best defensive player I've ever watched and has the bat to back that up. So he just, every single time, it feels like there's a highlight real play and there's an assurance that he's going to get the job done every time he goes out there. Wander Franco, another guy with a great glove. And yes, hurt a lot last year, but still liked what I saw and I'm loving what I've seen early on for Tampa here. Easily been their best player and, you know, flying up to rival or to the point just below Shohei Otani at the start of this season with a 340, 377, 720 slash line with four home runs and three stolen bases. Obviously he's not, I mean, again, things have to go wrong for Shohei to not win this, but he's right up there right now. And it also doesn't, you know, hurt his case that he helped me get the first pick in our fantasy football draft. But anyway, moving on, number two is going to be Bryce Harper. This is a guy who has fought through a lot, legitimizes himself again by winning that second MVP and getting past all the hate in the Bryce Harper's overrated talk, and then goes ahead and helps this team to the World Series, you know, really against everything he should have been doing. This is a guy who could have had Tommy John back in June of last year. He was having issues because of this playing limited, playing, you know, 
with a hand behind his back effectively and still putting up fantastic numbers all through the back end of that last year. And it pays off by him being able to lead the Phillies to the World Series. They don't get the job done, but what a respectable and amazing effort by Bryce Harper, another guy who wanted to go to the World Baseball Classic and a guy who's preparing. We'll talk about this, I'm sure, on hopefully Monday's show. We can talk about that and the Orioles celebration that we haven't gotten to touch on. But he's preparing to come back, and he's preparing to come back potentially as a first baseman. Here's the the team's greatest need is clearly help over at first base after losing Reese Hoskins. And rather than, you know, shoving one of these guys, either a Kyle Schwarber or a Nick Castellanos back into a DH spot or getting a guy out of the outfield, they're going to put him in the spot of most need. And he's fully willing to go along with that. He's fully willing to do what it, what's needed to help the team. If he has to learn to play first base, he has to learn to play first base. That's the type of guy I love. Number one for the third straight year, Justin Verlander comes back, proves just again how clearly deserving of the Hall of Fame he is and how clearly deserving of the title of one of the greats of our generation he has become. Uh, uh, LJ, are we? Did, did I did I somehow zone out there and did I not hear Joey Votto? Joey Votto was in the uh, honorable mentions group. Okay, okay, yeah, I was gonna say either. So surprised, even though he is, you know, made a lot of appearances on our social media graphics in the past. Um, surprised he's not in your top ten because I could have swore he was he was a guy that 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 would have been on there. It, my 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 two locks for you were Verlander and Joey Votto. And again, that was one I didn't feel good about leaving off. But at the end of the day, it ultimately came down to recency bias because mm. with all the injury issues last year and everything, I just feel like I haven't seen him, you know, be Joey in a while. And that's not to say I don't love him, but when it's talking about favorite players right now to watch, it's, you know, he's getting up there. It's too bad, but I don't know. Again, I, I'd be happy to, I'd be happy to have him in. I'd be happy to have him out. Brandon, your last group. Last group, five to one. Number five, Austin Riley of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, I mean, this dude just rakes. The 2021 and 2022 have been just phenomenal. Something that we never really expected out of Austin Riley, given his 2019 and 2020 performance. And talking back-to-back six war seasons, uh, finished sixth in the MVP voting last year seventh and won the silver slugger in 2021 uh, already off to an amazing start so far this year with a 154 OPS plus in 13 games LJ the last two years combined he has only missed three games uh just a guy that's out there every day for Atlanta grinding raking whatever you want to call it so much fun to watch and a really good defender as well at third base Number four, it's Sandy Alcantara, mostly because I was right about this guy. Go back and listen to our podcast that he we may did. Have, he may have been wrong about Trey Turner in 2021, but he was right about this guy in 2022. Uh, go back, listen to our podcast with the Bat Flip podcast from last season. We are talking about awards and going over how deep the NL Cy Young conversation is for the next few years. They were all throwing out names. LJ's throwing out names. And I pipe in and I say, 
Alcantara. And everyone's like, yep, yep, like, sure, maybe. What do you know? Last year goes off. Easily the best pitcher in the MLB last year. Uh, no doubt in my mind. Absolute workhorse. 228 innings, LJ. I mean, good Lord. You don't see that from pitchers much or uh, very often. Had has, Already has a complete game shutout this year. Uh, awesome player. Number three, Jose Ramirez. I will do whatever, anything possible to make sure that this guy wins an MVP at some point in his career. He is too good of a player and is starting to get in the conversation with like Nolan Arenado for best players that have never won an MVP because Jose Ramirez has finished third twice, second once, sixth once, and fourth once in the MVP voting. So consistent. The honest yet the face of the guardians right now other than a guy like shane bieber and you know i talk about his base running all the time uh his savviness at the plate is a switch hitter and just i mean if you're starting a team if i'm starting a team with you know picking really anyone in the mlb jose ramirez would be one of my first picks simply because of just how consistent this guy is he's only in his age 30 season right now as well uh, of course, he came up when he was 20, but really good hitter, really good player. Number two, my favorite pitcher, LJ knows him as Walker Bubbler. He is Walker Bueller of the LA Dodgers, of course, hurt to start this season. Uh, once again, electric pitcher. 2021 was really, really good. 2022, Struggled a little bit, but I still think uh, he put in a solid season given what, you know, what happened with the injury. He'll be back at some point that a Dodgers team, that rotation will be even scarier uh, when he's able to get back. Maybe this year, who knows? Uh, injury happened late into last year, so we'd have to assume maybe not. But yeah, Walker Bueller, number two, number one. Uh, probably somewhat easy to guess. I think I said this on uh, yesterday's show. Ronald Acuna, my favorite player. So bought in on his MVP hype train, whatever you want to call it. He's he's coming back. Uh, the steals are there. Uh, you know, he's another guy that if, if he's available to play, he'll be out there every day. Atlanta really loves to run their starters out there, and I love that as well. When you talk about electric players at the plate, uh, between him and Tatis, uh, I don't think that there's much more you can you can ask for. Just the swag, the electricity that he brings into the ballpark. Sure, not the greatest fielder, but makes up for it hitting. And you can tell when he's up to bat that that he's a premier hitter and so much fun to watch. But yeah, that is my five to one LJ. Fantastic. And that's going to wrap things up here on the batting order beat for this wonderful evening. Thank you, everyone who's come on in and joined us today. And we will be back on Monday with our next episode. We'll be looking forward to it. Brandon, any final remarks? No, thank you all for joining. Uh, if you listen to the podcast all the way through the of the playback, thank you as well. Check us out on Monday. LJ, I think we said we're turning Monday. We're going to do a winners and losers every week or some kind of overreaction, something like that. Yeah, we'll see something, something like that, yeah.
some kind of reaction segment to the weekend, but very fun. LJ, I think this is a good place to wrap up stream number three. All right. Well, that's going to end things, of course, and we'll see you soon.